The mechanization of agriculture has reduced the cost of food by more than any other change in our means of farming over the past 100 years. Today we want to talk about one of the up-and-coming trends in agriculture, agri-robotics. In particular, we'll be focusing on driverless tractors. With me, to discuss what these autonomous vehicles can do, what we want them to do, and how they might shape farming in future is Dr. Kit Franklin. Kit is an agricultural engineering senior lecturer at Harper Adams University and principal investigator of the hands-free Hector and hands-free farm. He is an inspiring engineer who exemplifies the importance of asking challenging and captivating questions. I urge you to go and take a look at some of the work achieved by Kit and his teams. It is fascinating and raises serious questions about the future of farming. Now for my conversation with Dr. Kit Franklin. So to start with, I sort of wanted to get an idea of what you think of as mechanization uh, in farming and actually how mechanization has impacted farming over the past 50 years, I suppose, maybe further back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so essentially mechanization is any piece of mechanical equipment that has, has, has aided the the farming process, the agricultural process. Um, so you can take that way back and in, you know, I have lecture slides where I do take that way back to sort of, you know, um, you know, cave wall paintings of people scratching a bit of stick through the ground, you know, essentially that was mechanizing how they could put a seed in the ground. Um, and, and then you take that right through, you know, obviously um, draft animals, be it horses or, or, or um, oxen or whatever, um, you know, all of those they were using machines and equipment and that was all the start of a mechanization sort of process as it were um through to obviously internal combustion and, and tractors being developed um being the the sort of symbol as it were i think of, of agricultural mechanization the tractor has become uh, and what that has allowed if you do take the last i, I like to go for the last hundred years just because i can quote it quickly um but if you take the last hundred years what 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 mechanization has allowed is it allowed it's allowed a, for a reduction in those people working on farm um and the people that remain to still be able to produce enough food uh, and the numbers on that specifically that are Back at the turn of the last century, there were in the UK there were about uh, two and a half million people working on farms, which at the time represented five or six percent of our population. And now we have around six hundred thousand people working full time on farms, which represents about one percent of our population. So you know our population is, has grown, and in that same time, the number of people working on farms producing the food has declined dramatically. Um, what has enabled that to happen or what has coped with that happening is is the fact that these machines tractors specifically but but all the things that bolt to them and uh have have allowed every individual person to essentially have a greater work rate a greater a greater output of work um so yeah that's that's what mechanization has achieved um it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing and and you can argue 
did did the creation of these mechanical machines put people out of their jobs or did the mechanical machines cope with a lack of people? Um, uh, I, I think it's probably the, the latter of those. I think there was a general push to urbanization and people wanting to move to warm, cozy offices to work from rather than uh, the field. Um, so I think, and, and, and if you look right to today, um, there is a shortage of skilled even tractor drivers today. So a modern tractor can can do the work of five or six tractors from the 1950s. Um, and we still struggle to find enough people to sit in those cabs, you know. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's an, an ever challenge is how do we, how do we produce this food with, with, with not enough people really? Mm, I, I would actually almost, I think, quite happily switch the the warm cozy office for the for the slightly cold muddy field <laughs> so it, there are enjoyable types of work in farming I've, I've always thought but um so what was the point of um I suppose why is it important that the amount of labor that is you or manual labor hand labor individual people used in farming what's the point of that reduction why does it help why does it sort of get driven by market forces or so i so i again i I believe that the people have have essentially left farming because of the search for for a better life or whatever generally speaking in very general terms um and essentially the machines have allowed the people that are left to do the work that we need to do to produce the food for everyone else so it's, it's essentially about um you know creating a greater output from each individual um now so so where i work in robotics the obvious thing to assume that i am trying to get rid of even more people again um and this is definitely not the case so 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 the work i do with with automation and robotics is all about again continuing to cope with the number of people we have whilst producing the food we need going forwards so but ultimately the reason the reason for automation the the things that i'm looking at is is because where we've got to with mechanization as it currently stands has has several problems has several several key issues so as i've already alluded to you know machines of tractors have got bigger the machines we use have got bigger and now uh, quite commonly you will see tractors in fields that may weigh 20 or 30 tons and what that 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 machine is doing is compacting the soil that it's driving over. So, so if you think, um, and, and many of your listeners will may be able to picture that what what is a T20 is a little the little grey Ferguson tractor, very you know quintessential sort of image for farming from the 1950s, and, and that tractor would have weighed maybe is ju- weighed just around one ton, slightly over a ton, and now we we're using tractors that weigh 20 times that. They're, they're colossal machines. Um, and the issues we have is, is is that massive amount of weight compacts the soil, basically reduces the the the, the ability for for roots to, to to push down through the soil. Um, it it it, uh, it hinders the ability for water to 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 go into the soil. It, it hinders the ability for air to move through the soil. All of which is needed for for crop growth. So um, the drive to cope, as I've already said, the drive to cope with less people has led to these big machines that are causing us other problems. Another problem is these really big machines aren't very precise. So we're trying to do a, there's a, there's a concept, a, a management concept called precision farming, where, which is exactly what it says. It's trying to be really precise in the way in which we farm. So trying to farm, uh, treat 
subsections of fields as individual parts rather than just fields as a whole. So if you think you wouldn't give, um, you know, you, 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 if you walked into a pen of animals, let's say, and one was ill, you wouldn't give them all the same medication. But at the moment, we mostly walk into a field and medicate that whole field the same with our sprays and fertilizers. So what precision farming is about is breaking down the field and treating every individual part of a field separately and individually so we can be much more precise with the way in which we use our inputs and ultimately um, be more sustainable. Um, but these really big machines we use aren't really good at that because they're so large that they cover loads of ground at the same time and we're limited by how precise we can be. So um, so yeah, that's that's where mechanization has got to. It has enabled us to cope with a lack of people. It's enabled farms to stay profitable in a very um, marginal marketplace where their margins are very tight. So, so large farms have been able to still generate a profit just about by having these big machines and low levels of staff, but they are in turn causing knock-on problems and, and are sort of not allowing us to maybe move forward in a more sustainable way. Um, I mean, the price point was one of the other things that I, uh, I wanted to just ask, ask and just make it very clear, but is it the case that the larger machines and the greater mechanization has led to an, a reduction in, um, in the price of the crops that we sort of put on our plates or, or, uh, buy from the supermarket type of thing? Um, it's a really hard one to answer, I think. Uh, so we have very large, very expensive machines that are being used by very large farms, which get the benefit of essentially economies of scale, essentially. So they're using less people to cover more land, less machines, but 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 more expensive machines to, to, to create more, more output. Um, and therefore they need to take, I guess, total less of a profit than if they would if that same farm was being farmed by many people many farms individually um but i think we've been driven that way by market forces that are a need for food to be cheaper or or, or uh, essentially crops are grown on a global market um so wheat price wheat grown in this country is sold at a price equivalent to if it's grown in any other country anywhere around the world despite how much it might cost in terms of labor, labor and land in those other places. We have a very expensive labor market comparatively for around the world. And we have very expensive, uh, uh, an extremely expensive land market in terms of price per, per, per hectare of land. So, you know, our farmers have to be very efficient with the way in which they produce food to in order, in order to generate profit in, in such a, you know, when competing essentially internationally. Mm, yeah um so you have in, in terms of the so the trends so you said that you're beginning to head into sort of pre precision agriculture um type of territory a type of territory is a sort of trend that you're seeing at the moment is that being reflected in the machines that are being built at the moment or are tractors still getting bigger generally tractors are still getting bigger again i can Precision farming has been a concept that was first developed in the early 90s. Um, and again, I can rattle off some numbers to try and explain what's happened since then. Um, in that 
in in the 90s the average size tractor in the on the on a uk farm was 120 horsepower um now that kind of doesn't mean much but then in the the 2000s the average size tractor on an on a british farm was 150 horsepower so so uh, a, a sizable increase in, in and, and again now we sit here and the average size tractor is more like 165 or 170 horsepower so we've so in the time since precision farming has been a concept we've actually the machines have continued to get bigger they've continued to get less precise essentially um another example that's maybe easier to to picture is that when we go out into a field with a combine harvester that drives up and down the field in, in, in stripes, it gathers the crop in and we can log how much yield is, is coming in at any point. So we can we can log the yield in terms of tons per hectare for any given point of a field. Now, the precision of that yield map uh, that we generate uh, is only as, as precise as the header on the combine. So when precision when yield mapping first came into existence, combine headers were about six meters wide so that meant the resolution of our yield map was about six meters now combine headers are 14 meters wide so the resolution of our yield map is now 14 meters rather than six meters so it's actually got half as good our, our precision has actually gone down um, in that sort of data capture way so again what we what 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 automation and what what we can try and do looking to the future we've got these two clear challenges we want to get more precise we want to be able to gather data in a more precise way we want to be able to go into the field and treat the field in a more precise manner and we want to be kinder to the soil when we're doing it all of those things wrapped up in a situation where we have a limited amount of people now um, i'm not trying to get rid of the people as i say but we need to cope with the amount of people we've got but be more precise kind to the soil um, and ultimately therefore the obvious way to do that is to try and shrink the size of our machines uh, and, and reverse this sort of trend that, that bigger is better bigger creates more output um, and that's where automation and robotics can come in because if you basically say well if the tractor or, or let's just say the machine working in my field doesn't need somebody sat on it then I'm not limited by the number of people I can employ Therefore, that thing can become smaller and we can shrink the size of the machines that are in the field. And potentially we can go to a situation where we might have five or six machines in the field, just like back in the 1950s, we would have had five or six tractors in a field. We go back that direction, really. Um, so that and that that's what, you know, the ideas around automation sort of open out. The abyss. So what you're saying is that uh, one what you're working on at the moment is automation within this sphere of sort of uh, farm machinery or in in an agri agricultural sphere. Um, but what you expect to see is actually the reduction in the size of these tractors. Is that down to a point that you saw when tractors first came around, or are you talking tiny, tiny little robots? Um, so I'm not. I I don't wish to to to. to to state too clearly on this because I, you know, I can't see the future there are those in my community who want to see things go to a tiny size things that i liken to vacuum cleaners so really small robots that that that, that go out into the field many maybe 10 tens of them in a field going around weeding and sowing and and scurrying across the ground now the problem with that is that um there's a couple of problems with that a you're just going to need an awful lot of these things. B, what happens when they meet 
a bit of a, a hole or a rut in your soil you know soils aren't flat smooth things it's not like running around on a car park or even a you know even a a playing field you know fields can be rough and lumpy and bumpy um so so there's a practical issue with going really tiny there's also an issue that a lot of people sort of don't quite believe it so it's almost a bit unbelievable um so the work that i've done has been to basically look at look at tractors from from yesteryear and say well we we know we used to farm there's no there is no question that we can farm with smaller tractors we used to do it so why don't we just go back to that point whereas if you start going right we're going to have things that are the size of a vacuum cleaner then there is debate if that's even possible or not whereas there's no debate that farming with a small tractor is possible because we used to do it if you go to india if you go to china uh, if you go to vast parts of the world they still farm with small tractors the tractors that we would have used in the 1950s or 60s here in the uk so the work i have done has been around about automating tractors and machines of that sort of 1950s size so just around just over a ton in weight between a ton and a ton and a half of mass um around sort of 40 horsepower in power uh, and we've looked at basically automating those machines now i'm not convinced that that's necessarily the right size but what we've done what the work i've done has been about is actually just having a go because so many people discussed and debated could we farm with robots and no one was really getting on with it um so so me and the team i work with just basically had to eventually pick some numbers and, and get on and have a go and start learning really i love I, the, the the gung-ho attitude as always it's um a doer's attitude doers are always the people who get things done basically i mean you've got to start somewhere and if you always sort of think that you're not quite in the perfect position to get going then you never you never end up starting um can i ask you what is it exactly that you are automating on these machines is it them driving from the barn to the field and opening gates on the way and all of that sort of stuff or 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 where does the automation start where does the automation finish um we have done what you've just described we have we've made tractors drive from our farmyard out to the field communicate with with gates and open and shut gates as it goes we did that as a sort of one-off technology project um, we hope to pick that work back up at some point but the majority of our work has been based upon field activities uh, and, and um, essentially growing crops so the project that I'm known for is called the hands-free hectare where we essentially were the world's first people to grow a hectare of cereal crop entirely using automated machines so nobody step foot within our hectare field for the course of a whole growing season so the tractor went in it uh drilled the crop into the ground so it, it planted the seed um it then went back into the field seven or eight times to apply fertilizers and the chemicals and uh, um you know pesticides and herbicides that the field needed to, to grow healthily um and then we went in with an autonomous combine harvester and we harvested that crop. Um, that was back now in 2017 that we did that. Um, and yeah, it, it, so really we have concentrated on basically navigating tractors around fields without people on them, uh, lifting and lowering the machines that are on the back. So, you know, putting the machines in and out of work. Um, and and that's really where, where we have concentrated. Um, so it's not that we've 
don't consider maybe you know driving around the farm and things like that to be important and, and that will become important in time but we've concentrated on getting the jobs done in the field and as it were you know we've uh, as we've just sort of alluded to we've sort of done this learning um because we got going you know lots of people were discussing it debating it couldn't work out where they wanted to start couldn't agree on what was the optimum size couldn't agree you know and we just we just started and, and now we we have knowledge so i have a, a colleague who always says that i need to remember that that in the in the land of the blind the one-eyed person is king um and we are the one-eyed person you know so we know a little we you know we, we've had a go it's not perfect but but we we've started to learn what did you start with and how have you iterated from that um initial point? So, so so we start with um basic farm tractors or you know compact tractors um the sort of size and scale you might see working on, in a park or on a golf course that's the sort of tractor so it's a 40 horsepower tractor uh, and if you think of what you might see say in your local park it's probably similar to what we're using um we uh we then basically adapt the human control so that the first the first machine we used was very mechanical so lots of levers and linkages um that that you manually pull and push so we literally took control of those mechanical linkages with electrical actuators um and to move them and then we basically control those actions via a sort of originally with a with a drone microcontroller so basically a drone autopilot using gps so all everything we do is based on gps we're very lucky in in the sort of field environment that we've got clear views of the sky and we can get great accuracy with our gps and we use um real-time kinematic gps so rtk uh that gives us a accuracy a a a, a precision of around uh, two centimeters it's it's not meters isn't it because the normal gps ends up doing but that isn't just between now and 10 minutes time i know where i am i can come back to the same point within the size of a 50p piece year on year so 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 i can go exactly the same place in the field i can do exactly the same route again so we we basically take our field we generate route plans for that field um, and then the tractor uses GPS to 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 navigate a preset, a predetermined route path, um, essentially. And and then it's you know it sends signals to all these systems that we have we have made um, autonomous. Now we do also do this with some slightly more advanced machines as well that are, are fly by wire, as it were. So where we where essentially the tractor that we're starting with utilizes electrical signals rather than physical levers and linkages and, and there instead what we do is we just plug in and we duplicate the signals we need to that we need to take control of the tractor so um yeah so that's that's what we do we now we now work it started with drone autopilots but we now work with uh, a commercial company called farm scan ag and they are developing a proprietary retrofitable control unit so this will be a, uh, we call it the beam it will go on the cab of any tractor and with some sort of black box integration we'll basically be able to control any tractor and make it drive around a field um, following predetermined route plans um, so so that's what we do um, all the implements and the things we, we we do in the field are essentially completely standard um, there are with 
in, in the world of farming. So, you know, the seed drills and the sprayers and those things are all completely sort of standard. They're generally as high tech as we can get. So we have a very advanced sprayer that um, is 50 meters wide, but it applies uh, the, the whatever the input you're putting on, the, the chemical, it applies it in in half meter bands and we can so we can turn off half meter of our sprayer at a time so we can be as precise as we can but that's a commercial machine um yeah so the only other thing that really has to go on the machine is some element of safety um these as i say we're not using forward facing sort of control systems like you might see on an autonomous car where they're using uh lidars and radars to actually navigate the car but we use those same sensors purely as a safety so if something was to be in the way of our tractor it wouldn't just plow on through um quite literally plow on through uh it would it would it would it would see that and stop but but it's really critical that any obstacles within the field that are static and permanent we will map around so if we have um power pylons going through the field we will map that and we will basically generate routes that avoid all those things so we don't we don't leave it up to the tractor to decide which way it wants to turn left or right around this power pylon we will we will have predetermined that before the uh before the 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 the, the tractor even gets to the field um in terms of the retro fitting aspect that you were just talking about because um so often farmers there 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 are is a large section of farmers who don't buy the uh, the top of the range machinery and go for the uh, you know the secondhand stuff because it ends up being a lot cheaper. It tends to work, do pretty much the same job that they that you would get off the first hand machinery, and their budgets might not extend to um, the sort of incredibly expensive combine harvesters, let's say, or something like that. Um, how important do you think? Uh, getting the second hand market is in terms of extending the reach of robotics in agriculture yeah so i think this sort of retrofit system is always really important and we've seen that several times before so again what what your listeners may not know is that most or now i can nearly say most probably two-thirds of tractors in this country will drive themselves in straight lines on commercial farms um, uh, in the sense that they have what we call auto steer. And what the auto steer allows to happen is there's still a driver in the seat, but when they set out across a field, they click a button and the tractor will hold itself in a perfectly straight line across the field. And that allows them to be much more efficient in terms of they don't want any overlap between pass to pass. Essentially, when you're, when you're doing anything in a field, you're like coloring it in. And every time you go over somewhere you've already been, you're wasting time and energy and effort and, 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 and money, essentially. So so we already have a system called auto steer, which allows us to very precisely only go across all the field once. Um, that came to market through the retrofit market, you know, so so, so the, the first products in that space, you had a tractor, you bought a re- retrofit fit equipment um and that was fitted to your tractor and that 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 started sort of early 2000 2003 2004 was where that really started kicking off but now that is comes from the factory so now when you go and buy a tractor it will have auto steer and the control system required built into the machine um the same you know it's just like in, in the normal world i guess or in the in the in the consumer world 
um, sat navs in cars. You know, you used to buy one and stick it to your windscreen. Now your car comes with a sat nav built in. So essentially what we're doing with this retrofit system is saying, look, it's going to be a while until the manufacturers, the big manufacturers offer tractors that drive themselves. But you, we're going to start the ball rolling with a set of equipment that you can fit to any tractor of, of any age within reason. Um, yeah. What are the um, other low hanging fruits uh, that you or do you see this as a low hanging fruit? And if so, are there others that you would like to be grasping for you think we should be trying to uh, grab? So the work we do, I would say, is a mixture of low hanging fruit and not. So when when our machines are in the field and we are cultivating, so turning a field brown, (laughs) essentially, it's low hanging fruit. It's very easy. We put put a, a, a cultivator or set some discs on the back of the tractor and we just have to drive from one side of the field to the other side of the field covering all the ground very simple very little to go wrong it's very easy to automate it's very easy to walk away from and, and just leave the tractor to it when we're doing something like uh combining the crop at the end of the season um yes the combine has to navigate from one side of the field to the other but there's also many things that can happen the combine can get blocked it can start pulling the the roots of the crop out of the ground and creating big ruts in the field. So there's an awful lot of um, sort of refinement there before that becomes a really commercially viable thing to sell a farmer. So so the work we do is is, is across the whole range of the cropping cycle. Some of it's very easy and will be seen on farm very soon. Some of it will take a long while before it's reliable enough to get there. Now, Outside of my industry, the direct work I do, there's there's always a lot of talk around automation in um, the world of sort of fresh produce and fruit production. And a lot of the attention is always put into the harvest of that fruit. You always hear people talking about, oh, we need to make a strawberry harvester because we don't have enough uh, uh, labor force to pick the strawberries. Now, I look at that and I just always shake my head because I know that picking strawberries is very, very hard to do it. We've had it. We've we've done it here at Harper Adams. We've we've had a project where we've done it and and we did it successfully, but it's quite slow. It's quite complicated and it's quite expensive. Now, on that same fruit farm, around 50 percent of the labor force will be involved with logistics. So the the fruit will be picked. It will be put into punnets and those punnets will be being driven up and down polytunnels taking it to a, a lorry now as far as i'm concerned the low-hanging fruit in the fruit example isn't the picking the fruit it's the shuttling fruit around just like what amazon might do in their warehouse or whatever you know um so so there's definitely low-hanging fruit across the industry if you look at every sector you can go that's the bit we should be looking at automating because it's the easiest to do and it's not always the bit that's getting the attention because uh to be honest the funders like to see innovative exciting looking projects and if you apply to a funder to say i want to develop a thing that's going to move strawberries from a to b they probably go that doesn't need funding whereas if you say i want to pick strawberries they probably do fund you so yeah that's that that's something that goes on quite a lot um the the other one uh, that is definitely happening is around um you know the there, there is a realization clearly within all industries that we need to get greener and more environmentally friendly. Uh, and it's, you know, it's no secret that, as, that farming uses quite a lot of inputs and chemicals into, into food production. Now I'm no, I'm certainly no one who believes that we should completely 
cut out chemicals completely and go organic. I, I believe they've been very fundamental in producing the food we need as a nation and, and internationally. But we do need to do our bit in cutting back on on the use of any sort of input and, and energy, essentially. So things like um, hoeing and weeding robots are coming through now where essentially when you plant a crop, you could put quite a small light robot going back to the very start of this, you know, a small light vacuum cleaner light robot into your field and it would just go up and down all day long, just basically pulling out weeds as they emerge when they're really small. So don't let them get big where we need to yank them out with a big machine or put a lot of chemical on them to kill them. Just have a small machine scuttling up and down, um, kill it up, just weeding the weeds as they come through. And that is quite a low hanging fruit that is being tackled by a number of companies internationally. Yeah. Um, we actually, I mean, in terms of the strawberry picking one we work in we well we might be talking to a company called dog tooths who i think uh do a bit of the at uh, the harvest the, the the harvesting on the strawberry problem but it's 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 a really interesting point that in all of these things it's always like where where do you go and automate first what should we really be aiming for because if you choose the right things first it probably means that you end up it makes getting funding to do the difficult problems easier in future i would suspect yeah i mean the old adage of of robotics is it's to replace the dull dirty and dangerous you know and and if you always look for dull dirty dangerous you're in a good starting point and you know i'd argue running strawberries up and down polytunnels is probably quite dull um so that's a good place to start uh so when you were doing the hands-free hector one of the things you did uh, was generate quite a lot of PR. Why was that important? Um, and did, I mean, does it fit in? Is it something that was fundamental to the goals of what you were trying to do with the hands-free Hector? Yeah, absolutely. So on, on lots of different levels. So on, on one level, agricultural automation had been talked about in an echo chamber for 20 or 30 years no one was ever making any progress so we decided we were going to crack on do some farming with an autonomous machine and we were going to tell everyone about it and, and move that story on so within our sort of world it was important to get a decent amount of publicity so everyone knew we'd done it um that was to hopefully encourage some in a sense, competition, because I certainly don't sit here and think we're the best people in the world at this. I just think we were the people who got on and did it. Um, And by us showing it could be done, I'm sure has inspired other people to get into it and uh, and move it forwards. And and my interest has always been advancing agriculture as a whole. And that doesn't mean I have to do it all myself. But if I can inspire other people to move into this space and, and do that, that's great. So, so it was about showing that automation was possible. That was both to the, the, the sort of engineers who'd been discussing it. It was the farmers who, who a lot thought it was a long time away. I used to have conversations with farming about farmers about when do you think automation is going to happen? And the, the common response was 2050 or not, essentially not in my lifetime or 30 years or whereas now we did hands-free hectare. Everyone saw that in the farming world. You know, it went, you know, it went very sort of, um, uh viral as it were in our industry so now most farmers if you say to them when do you think you could see an autonomous tractor they now respond with oh probably five ten years because they've seen it that it can be done whereas before they hadn't so really important for that aspect now wider than than, than that um 
and this wasn't really, I guess, the initial aim, but but I'm a believer that that yeah, say agriculture is is the is the backbone to civilization. It, it is uh, the few feeding the many allows the many to do all the other things we enjoy, so, you know, media and arts and sport. Um, and if we were all having to produce our own food, there wouldn't be a lot of time for all those things. So the problem is that 99% don't tend to realize how advanced and clever and the challenges that agriculture face. So it wasn't really an initial aim, but I'm very proud of the fact that my project has been presented to, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people through TV programs and things who have now seen it and gone, wow, agriculture is way more advanced than I thought it was. I thought it was all wading around in, in mud up to your knees. Um, so, so, so that's, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that I've hopefully shown agriculture and some of its challenges and some of its, you know, advanced features to, to the wider public. Mm, mm. Providing some food for thought, I suppose. Um, what, so what are the current lines of research that you're now looking to pursue now that you've um, completed the hands-free hectare? Uh, where are you going with this work now? Yeah, so uh, rather sort of um, inevitably, we're now the hands-free farm. So now we have a bigger amount of area, a uh, bigger farm area. We have 35 hectares of land over five fields. Those fields represent um, a very sort of normal farm for this country. So the fields aren't all square and flat. They're various sizes and shapes. There's footpaths and trees and all the obstacles you'd find. So our original project was a square flat field. Now we have a farm that has all the farming challenges that everyone else has. Um, so that 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 up, ups the ante of our work, no end. Um, but uh, and basically means we have to refine everything and get everything better. Um, as I say, I work with I'm an academic and we are studying it from an academic point of view, critically looking at the economics of it. And we have publications out that show that that, that, that are modeling the economics of what we're doing and show that there is a potential to improve the profit margin of farming by adopting the technologies we're developing. And critically make smaller land areas profitable so i again i mentioned earlier that it's a case of you know big farms can make it can make profit small farms can't well our technologies because because that it is essentially cheaper to get into uh and it's and it's cheaper to produce the food we can we can make smaller farms profitable again which is fairly you know which could cause a fairly fundamental change to uk agriculture um uh, and globally um, so, so that's what we're doing from an academic point of view. But our project partners are developing products, you know, so retrofit systems. We also work with another company called uh, Precision Decisions. They do the route planning and the control system, um, the sort of the interface, as it were, the, the app that you'd have on your phone, that sort of stuff. So, so those companies that we work with have genuine commercial output that they're trying to achieve. We have this academic study that we're trying to achieve. Um, the big thing that we're doing on Hansfree farm is is this uh, one of the ideas is is if we make all our machines smaller we do more of them and therefore they have to operate in a swarm they have to operate two or three at the same time now in the Hansfree hectare we didn't need to do that it was small enough we could just do it with one machine now we have big enough areas that we operate two or three machines together in the same field so harvest is just gone we had a combine harvester cutting the crop and a tractor autonomously driving alongside the combine unloading the grain and then 
avoiding the combine on the turns, driving away and getting out of the way of the combine and then pulling back alongside on the next run. Uh, and that's all being done autonomously. And going forward this year, we will be drilling the crops with two tractors, if not maybe three tractors at a time in the same field covering the ground. So that's the sort of the, the nitty gritty, like the, 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 what is the challenge we're doing is, is, is sort of this swarm stuff now. Um, but, but ultimately it's about for us as academics to study it and, and for our commercial partners to, to generate products that can be taken to market. Does this change the nature of um, what, what a farmer would have to do? I mean, you're no longer a, a farmer in that scenario becomes much more of a, a, a sort of manager of one of these swarms potentially and making sure it continues to run rather than actually focusing on an individual machine. Um, does that mean that you then, those user interfaces are sort of the point of them is to enable a farmer to manage multiple machines um, all doing their separate jobs? Yeah, absolutely. So, so as a tractor driver, rather than a farmer, I will say, as a tractor driver, you spend a lot of your time driving in, in pretty straight lines. Now, for 10% of your time, you're absolutely needed because maybe something's gone wrong on the machine it's it, something's broken or you've pulled up some a big lump of soil or you're having to navigate around a tree or a tight area but for an awful lot of the time the human resource that we struggle to get onto farm isn't really doing a great deal other than driving in straight lines so what we're trying to do is get that human resource off of the tractor allow them to remotely monitor two three four smaller vehicles that are doing the same work and then free up the time that they're not having to, I'm not saying they'll never have to go and rescue their robot tractor. Of course they will. And they'll have to work on them and do maintenance, but with being able to free up that, that tractor driver to do the more, the higher value jobs that we have on farm. So the agronomy. So what is the crop looking like? What's the soils looking like? Dig, dig some holes with a spade. What, what's the ecology like? Um, ultimately be a business person farming is 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 so multifaceted in what you have to do you have to decide when to buy and when to sell you know in the last two weeks depending on when you sold your wheat you would have made um 15 pounds different per ton you could have sold it for as little as 180 pounds and you could have sold it for as high as 195 pounds so that's a job in itself deciding when you sell your crop um so if we can get people off the tractor let the tractor do its thing. Um, we can free them up to do all these other tasks that are actually probably earning them more money and, and earning the business more money. Mm, okay. Um, and for people interested in getting into this this sort of line of research, can you give them any advice? Is there? I mean, how, how should they start going about that? What are the things that you sort of you need to do to start working on some of these important and interesting robotics problems? Yeah, so I think well, there's there's some really general ones. So, um, very generally, autonomous vehicle safety um, is a thing that I know a number of companies that are crying out for a more sort of rounded, uh, sort of one-stop shop of a, a sort of safety solution. At the moment, you've got lots of companies developing autonomous vehicles and having to develop their own proprietary safety system some sort of standardization of 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 the best system would be a great thing to do um so that that's somewhere to look in a very general automation sense safety systems need to be better cheaper uh more reliable 
Um, in the more sort of agricultural area, i.e., are we farming in the best way? You know, um, how, trying to decide what amount of chemical or what amount of seed I'm putting into the ground or how I navigate my field to be most efficient, those sorts of questions. Um, there's, a, there's an infinite amount to answer. And my advice to everyone always is get yourself onto a farm and you'll soon see some of these problems. And I really believe this. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a farmer. I am an agricultural engineer who tries to solve farmers' problems, but I spent a good number of years working on farms through holidays and, and, and whatever else to have a really clear understanding of the, of the, of the, of the, of the sort of failings on farms. And I really believe that if you want to get into this world, just go and work on a farm for a, for a handful of days and you'll start to see the problems that need solving. Um, and then in the more, again, I guess, automation thing, well, there's, there's now tons of companies and research teams out there in this space. So go and, go and talk to people and say, you know, what are the problems you're working on? What are the problems you're seeing? Um, and I'm sure there's, there's, there's lots to solve. There's, there's, they say there's plenty to go around. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's, that's great. Very, very good advice, I think. Um, so f- final question is, do you expect to see these? So you said that farmers are beginning to say they expect to see them in sort of five, 10 years. Do you think that the problems that are left to solve are going to, uh, we're going to be able to do these things in the next five or 10 years? Or do you think it's actually going to be a longer term problem? I Back in 2016, when this when Hansfree launched, I was asked a lot, when will it be commercial? And I said, I rec- I, I, at that time, I said around a, a decade. And I, in the last five years, the amount of things that have happened have only reinforced that in my mind. That by midway through this, this coming decade, so 2025, 2026, there will be autonomous vehicles and systems that are commercially viable for farms. So the way I normally say this is it will not it will be unsurprising to see an autonomous vehicle on a farm in five years time. That doesn't mean that every farmer is running a fleet of autonomous vehicles. It doesn't mean that every vehicle is autonomous. But if I'm driving across the countryside and I see a weeding robot out in a field doing some weeding, I don't think that will surprise me in five years time. There's already a number of commercial companies selling these systems now, and it's and it's going to become more and more commonplace. Well, an exciting future. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Biotech Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show, all the researchers we've been talking to, you can either check out the description on your podcast player or head over to our website at thebiotechpodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please reach out with thoughts and comments about